During the summer of 1974, my two buddies and I worked at Stonegate Swim Club in Overland Park, Kansas. We were young, impressionable, impulsive, and dumb in many respects. But we were savvy enough to see through the pool manager, Jeff Lance. Lance was a big guy with a bowl cut, sloppy Fu Manchu stash, and a few extra layers of schlitz around his midsection. Think of a tan, six foot four, chunky Captain Kangaroo. Watching him walk around the pool made you tired. He struggled to lift his feet more than an inch with every step. Maybe that was his weight, or maybe it was a result of injuries from his glory days as a high school football star tight end. Whatever the case, his gait was something you'd expect from a second shift mechanic leaving the bar at closing time. Lance fancied himself an expert in many areas. All areas, actually. Especially with the use of the word, actually. Seems he couldn't finish a sentence without dropping an actually in there somewhere. Hey Jeff, what time is my lunch break today? You don't get a lunch break today, actually. Hey Jeff, tell us about your football career. Actually, I played with Russell Washington, and I hold the record for most sacks in a season, actually. Actually, what Lance was really good at was exaggeration. He was king embellisher. It wasn't just that he had a fast car. It was the fastest car in the whole state. He didn't just play high school football. He was the best defensive end the area had ever seen. He wasn't just popular with the ladies. He was the most fought over hunk of stud steak this side of Burt Reynolds. Basically, he could outlift, outdrink, outscrew, outrun, and outtalk you and anyone you knew. What he couldn't outdo you on was swimming. Yeah, he was the manager of a swim club, supervised all the lifeguards, and even took shifts in the stand like the rest of us. But save someone who was struggling in the water? Forget it. There would have been two drownings to deal with if he was ever challenged to pull someone out of the pool. Oh yeah, he couldn't swim, he floated. He couldn't swim for nothing. This is true. I, I was an eyewitness. He's he got up on the lifeguard chair, and it's adult swim, so he decided to dive into the deep end. You know how we do that from from the chair. Yeah. But yeah. it's on top of the chair, and the chair didn't uh, sustain his weight, and he <laughs> broke the chair, and he dove. He almost hit the side of the pool, but he dove into the deep end. So he 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 broke this chair, and he had to fix it. And he goes, man, I got to get this done before John R. finds out. He, he will be pissed because this is a custom chair. And so he braced it. He, he used epoxy glue and a brace and fixed it. Uh, did a good job on the repair. But, man, <laughs> seeing him fall in while diving and almost hit the side of the pool scared me. Well, did you ever see him actually swim, though? No. If we he were swim, he floated. He, he could only float. I, I'm surprised he could even dive in the pool. He, he never in during adult swim. Kind of right. waddled around and sweat all the time. He didn't get in much. <laughs> actually. <laughs> Let's keep going. We knew Lance was full of shit. Everyone knew he was full of shit. Even he knew he was full of shit. But he relished lording over his teen subjects by holding court in the pump room or basket room 
or in the snack bar with tales of his superhuman exploits. Truth is, we enjoyed those sessions probably more than he did. Trying to stifle laughter, we'd egg him on with a Tell us about the time you took on a couple of the Rockhurst High offensive linemen under the stands after a heated Friday night game. And he'd be off. Actually, it was the entire offensive line. Knocked out nearly every one of those pussies. And the stories got even more awesome each time he told them. It got to the point where we'd see him go into the pump room, we'd try to hustle in there to see if we could get him to spin some more yarn. Hey Lance, I heard you had a close race with a dude who owns the blue Shelby Mustang through Swope Park last summer. Actually, it wasn't even close. I crushed him. Had the Charger going 110 around the corner leading to the creek. I was on two wheels through the whole turn. So that was that. I, I, I distinctly remember him telling me that story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do remember him telling me that he was in Swope Park one summer night driving his, what do you have, a Challenger? And he said, No, I, he had a Charger. Charger. Chrysler something. And it, with a stick on it. And it, Charger, it was real fast, but I never saw it run anything. It was a 383 stock. Yeah, it was what fast. It? Yes. What was it? With a, I don't remember. With a Hemi? Yeah, it was freaking screaming fast. He, but he, he, he would go around the corners at Swoke Park on two wheels. <laughs> yeah, right. but he, us, he said after he was out drinking two six-packs of beer, and he got both, he got both wheels off, uh, off the ground driving around the uh, Swoke Park uh, waterfront. <laughs> two wheels. Oh, man. <laughs> that was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was uh, he was quite entertaining. Well, right? I mean, look at all those other things. Before you get to that, think about when he he's telling, hey, you can't mention much about it, but remember, fly the rat tail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can discuss that. Uh, can't really. All right, well, hold on to the rat tail. When he didn't drive his '68 Charger, he had a '750 Norton. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I, he let me ride that thing a couple times. That was fast. And it was, it would, uh, he had it, the uh, uh, throttle, or not the throttle, but the uh, accelerator, you know, the on the handlebar. He had it yeah. tightened down where he could just rev at certain RPM. And then the thing would vibrate just slightly. Man, you could you could feel the power in that bike. Oh, you know what? That's a great memory. I'm glad you said that because that bike shifted. Most motorcycles shift on the left hand side with your foot. Huh. The Norton and all the English bikes shifted on the right. So when he let me ride it, it was it was a weird experience because I had to shift with my right foot. Huh? Yeah, 750 Norton, man. That was God. That was a neat bike. That was very cool. <laughs> I love that bike. Let's listen to some more. Lance wasn't the only older, so-called role model we were exposed to at Stonegate. Another butte was Tony Slate. He was a part-time security guard with a full-time boner to be a cop. He'd randomly show up at the pool with handcuffs strapped to his belt, heavy black military-issue shoes, double-knit navy slacks, and uniform-quality starched navy long-sleeve shirt. Didn't matter if it was 100 degrees out, Slate stayed true to the blue. What he wasn't loyal to was common sense. Quick example. He prided himself on his music collection. 
He did have a pretty cool variety of albums that ranged from country to rock to soundtracks, actually. There I go with actually again. Thanks, Lance. In addition to the albums, Slate had a decent stereo and turntable. One day, he had the bright idea that he should bring his collection to the pool and spin records for all the patrons. He set up the stereo, speakers, and turntable in the grass that surrounded the pool deck. And, anxious to show off his collection of LPs, he fanned out more than 50 albums in the grass next to the sound system. Gotta say, it was pretty cool to listen to the Stones, Doobie Brothers, Creedence, and more blasting out over the water. By the time noon came around, we were probably into our seventh or eighth album. Now, it just so happened that this was a rather warm Kansas City summer day. Temps had climbed to the upper 90s by the time Slate dropped Mike Oldfield's tubular bells onto the turntable. Being that this was the soundtrack for The Exorcist made the tracks scary enough on their own. But on this particular playing, the notes started to rise and drop in an uneven fashion. Freaky. What the hell was going on? Was this record possessed by Satan? Ah, uh, nope. Turns out it was possessed by the sun. The midday rays had warped the vinyl on tubular bells. On every one of the albums laying on the grass, as a matter of fact. All of them were destroyed. Slate slunk around the lawn, collecting his distorted, gnarled, twisted tunes, deformed, misshapen, buckled, loaded them into his 65 sob, two-stroke choker, and puttered away with all the power of a Singer sewing machine. Ah yes, the Saab two-stroke. A ring-dinger of a car that nobody wanted. One muggy night, Slake tucked me into riding around the city with him and the Saab. Weird. He kept a cop-worthy red light on the passenger side floor. If he was pursuing someone or just wanted to make a statement, he'd plop the light on the roof of the car and switch it on to the flash mode. Drivers around him were alarmed and would slow down immediately until they realized that the light was fixed atop a shitty little car that sounded like a chainsaw and looked like it was straight out of a cartoon. But at night, it was tough to see the car, and the red light had the intended effect on those who saw it flashing in the rearview mirror. On this particular night, we made the rounds, cruising the main roads of Overland Park. Not much action. It was one of those sultry nights where people lacked the energy to do much of anything. We headed back to Stonegate where my car was parked. As we approached the circle drive, Slate noticed some activity in the pool. Nudging me, he said excitedly, Hey, someone's in the water! I looked through the chain link fence and could see the water rippling. This didn't really alarm me as I figured it was just a couple kids taking a quick dip. Not an uncommon action on a hot summer night. But Slate smelled blood. Let's get him, he shouted. He could barely contain himself as he skidded to a stop in the circle drive and leapt out of the sob, searchlight in hand. Realizing that the door was shut and locked, he was forced to employ the same method of entry the swimmers had used, climb the fence. I followed closely behind, careful not to get too close to his sweaty fat ass lest he slip and crush me. We landed on the grass on the other side of the fence and quickly scampered toward the water. There was no way Slate was going to let these hardened criminals escape. He produced a flashlight from his belt and shined it on the water surface where the faces of the two young boys were frozen with equal parts fear and confusion. 
out of the water now, Slate commanded. The boys were still processing the scene and didn't quite know how to react. Their lack of response enraged Slate, who thought it necessary at that point to draw a service revolver. Pointing it at the scared lads, he again insisted they get out of the water. There was just enough light for the boys to see the gun, so they decided it would be in their best interest to exit the water swiftly. Wearing only cutoffs, they climbed onto the deck wondering, I'm sure, if this might be their last day at the pool, if not on Earth. Adrenaline pumped through Slate as he ordered the boys onto their knees. You are both in violation of breaking and entering, trespassing and endangering human life, Slate barked. I'm going to have to cuff and fingerprint you. Now, even the most hard-ass cop would have just given these young guys a warning and sent them home to mom. Slate, however, felt compelled to exercise his faux authority and dominate the frightened lads. As they went to their knees, Slate whipped out two pair of handcuffs and shackled their hands together behind their backs. As if that weren't enough, he produced a fingerprinting kit from a backpack. What's that? I asked. Gonna print them and run their profiles, he replied. Jesus, really? I mean, these are just a couple kids trying to cool off on a hot summer night. But not to Slate. These two were punks who were on their way to lives of crime. The way he looked at it, Slate was doing them a favor by getting them off the crooked path at an early age. Extend your index finger on both hands, Slate ordered. He then rolled the end of each finger onto the ink pad and again on the white piece of paper. But that wasn't enough for Columbo Slate. He produced a canister of fingerprint powder from his kit and proceeded to apply it to the walls and doors of the locker room, office, and main entranceway. Suddenly, dusty gray powder was everywhere. And when it got wet, it formed a paste that was difficult to clean. Slate thought about driving the lads home and having a sit-down with the parents. I reminded him that it was approaching midnight and that the parents might not take kindly to seeing their boys handcuffed, wet, and wearing nothing but cut-off jean shorts, escorted by a 20-something rent-a-cop with a pervy vibe. He agreed and released the boys into the night, a night that has no doubt humored them in the years since. Slate and Lance were definitely the leaders of the weird parade those summers at Stonegate. But there were others who weren't far behind. Like Steve McLean, whose goal for the season was to ride his Stingray bike off the high dive. Which he did on the 4th of July, losing his front choppers as his face met the ape hanger handlebars on impact with the water. Or old man Williams, who liked to hang out in the kiddie pool, barely concealing his excitement under his snugly fitting Speedo. McLean's, um... Honda that he gave to you to to hold on to for the summer was that am I getting that right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah big red. That was big red's yeah. bike. Yeah, right. Did you guys ride it? Jeez. Oh, I think we put. Uh, I'll bet we would we put maybe two thousand miles on that thing over um, the summer. We drove it every day. We drove it to weightlifting. We drove it to work. I drove it over to Redgate on on four thirty five. I we were driving all over town every day. We put about five thousand miles on it. Well, like, I mean, we ran it. It was it was moving every single day. Somebody had it <laughs> doing something with it. Did he know, or did he say you guys could ride it? Well, not no. exactly. <laughs> he just left because when when John R. Dukes fired him, then he uh, went to work it uh, with uh, 
<laughs> somehow we got him. I got him connected to United Computing, and he worked down there. Yeah. Then they fired him there, and then that was it. Then he knew he had to leave town, and he left town, and that was shortly. And and of course, all this was going on when he was sleeping in the basement at the house, and. The old man came home one day. We were having dinner. The whole family sat down to dinner. And Lane, after Dukes fired him, he uh, he came up for dinner. And 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 the old man gave him, you know, Patty, you know this look he gave him about how we all work here. <laughs> and and uh, oh man, that got that got Lane moving. But anyway, he uh, as far as the bike's concerned, he left. And maybe you, maybe Pat knows what ha- what happened, how he left. I just remember he left, and he uh, he he left and got on a, got in a car and took off. But he left the motorcycle, keys, and of course the helmet. And <laughs> we parked that we parked that thing outside. You know, is there all summer long? And we we ran that thing to death. <laughs> tell him, tell him what you did to the helmet. <laughs> oh, that was bad. So you know, it was his bike. It wasn't our bike, and it, it, but but we were driving it all the time. So I I took it up when I was working at the car dealership. I I took it up the car dealership, and we had a uh, you know you'd bring all those those muscle cars in all the time, and they had a painter in there, the, some exotic painter, and and uh, he was you know he'd paint like uh, cobras on the side of your your uh, your your Shelby Cobra, you know, and he'd. And he could do it. I mean, he was really very, very good at what he could do. And I was standing there talking to him, and I had the motors. I rode the motorcycle up there that day to work, and I was. I happened to be holding on to this white helmet with nothing on it. It was a clean helmet, and he grabs it and, and he goes and he just starts writing something on it. And uh, then he goes, "Hey, what's your name?" And I said, "Well, Tom." But hey, hey, don't do. And he and he writes Tom on the back of the, of the or TD on the back of the thing, and he put. What did he put? He put a, he painted the damn helmet. Yeah. Well, that wasn't my yeah. helmet. It was or our helmet. Uh, big reds. So, <laughs> and, and that bike, so that bike, you know, I mean, we it had thousands of miles on it. So I just remember we were in high school. We were probably like juniors or sophomores or something. Yeah. And we were sitting around in the morning getting ready to head to West to school. And... All of a sudden, bang, 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 the door. You know, somebody's pounding on the door. So uh, went over there, and there's Big Red. He is showing up, you know, like months later, months later. And uh, he goes, hey, Doran, give me uh, give my keys. I want my bike. So I, so we went and got it for him and uh, gave, him the, gave him the keys. And he looks at the helmet, and he goes, what the hell is this? And I went, oh, that's a long story. He was, ah, and he kind of huffs and puffs. Then he goes over and looks at the bike, and I guess he looked on the on the odometer, and he saw the. And he goes, Doran, and he grabs that thing, grabs the bike, and he throws it in the back of some pickup truck, picks it up. Yeah. You know, yeah. Lane was a strong strong guy. And he picks that motorcycle up, throws it in the back of that pickup, and and looks at us and just just kind of shakes his head and and hops in the truck, and and we never saw him again. <laughs> And I thought, well, there goes the motorcycle. <laughs> I guess we got to drive cars now. Oh, man. God, that was fun. We did uh, that thing everywhere, though. So, so I told that, hey, 
here recently. I said, why don't you get a hold of Big Red and see if he wants to talk to us? <laughs> <laughs> no one knows the, the whereabouts of Big Red. He's in the wind. You never know. You don't know where it. Somewhere in Kentucky, maybe. Interesting. Yeah. If wow. he's even still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What did he say? What did you think? He was uh, riding freight cars or something. He'd get on a freight car with his buddies in Kentucky well, and on a car. He had a friend who was an Indian. Oh. He called him Indian Jim, and, and they would hop freighters, freight cars going in, in, in and out of Louisville. I don't know where they went. They, you know, just riding them. He was entertaining. Uh, Lane liked to ride the riding lawnmower when he had to work at Stonegate. And so we're down there on a Monday, and and we're chasing each other on the riding lawnmower and he's running and I've, I've got him cornered and he runs into the wall and he hits his mouth on the wall and he breaks a couple teeth. And he looked at me and he, he out like half a tooth. I go, Oh my God, are you okay? And he goes, he goes, Darren. Jeez. <laughs> Well, you know, then we had that one fateful day. Remember the one fateful day when it was a rainy day, so, you know, if it's raining, you can't guard the kids, so you got to go work on something. So we were supposed <laughs> to go paint. I think we were supposed to paint, and and uh, this is, I think this was before you were around, Anakin, and, and uh, uh, anyway, we were painting away, and, and Big Red, he decided he wasn't going to paint. That's <laughs> not his job, so he wasn't painting. So one of the managers at the time, I guess, was Green, right? Green says, well, he goes, Lane, paint. You're like, you know, work. You're going to work like the rest of us. We're going to get this done. And he said, no, I ain't painting. I'm, I'm a, I was here to lifeguard, not paint. So he goes, all right. So he goes over, puts a, puts a dime in the, uh, in the telephone and calls Big John, you know, Dukes, and <laughs> says, hey, uh, John, uh, we've got a little cheer. Lane says, he doesn't want to paint. He says he's supposed to lifeguard, not paint. What should I do? And he goes, huh? Yeah, yeah. He goes, okay. All right. Thank you very much. Hangs up the phone and looks over and he goes, Lane, you're fired. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> that was it. He goes, Lane, you're fired. <laughs> That's, I, I totally see that happen. Oh, God. It's funny. Classic Dukes. In many respects, that summer was a primer for me and the Doran boys on how to handle the douchebaggery we would encounter for the rest of our lives. We learned how to deal with bad behavior exhibited daily by bratty kids at a crowded suburban pool, and even worse behavior by some of the adults. But we survived and came out the better for it. As Lance might have said, you're lucky you've had the chance to work with me, actually. Yeesh. Classic. You're lucky you had the chance to work with me. Oh, so man. true. Can't you hear him saying that? No, absolutely. I think we got a lot of good stuff. See ya. See ya. See ya. <laughs>